Hello, and welcome to the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today, myself and Jeff Randall are discussing the heartbreaking work of cinematic genius that is known as Attack of the Clones. And while I'm being perhaps a tad sarcastic, we are actually today going to find some of the good things in this movie that we liked, as well as maybe talk about some parts that we were not so happy with, and just generally talk about where it fits in the overall story. All that and more after this ad break we have no control over. back. My name is Matthew Rathbox. I'm one of your hosts. I am joined today, as I am for all of these discussions of the clo- uh, the uh, movies, Jeff Randall. Jeff, how are we doing today? Sir, I am... I'm hurting. <laughs> it's a little bit early in the morning. Uh, no. I mean, yes, it's early in the morning, but this movie hurt me. Oh. Yeah. I... I... We're going to hopefully find some of the good parts, uh, as well as maybe talk about how it could have been saved, uh, if only there was a website that could, uh, if only there was a podcast that talked about how to save movies like this. Yeah, um, never heard of it. Overall, I I have some very personal feelings that make me think that both Solo and Rise of Skywalker are horrible, horrible movies. Um, but I think just in terms of like, movie making skill and putting aside any like (laughs) what kind of what you wanted from it but just like general quality of dialogue and acting and plotting and plot structure i think this is the worst star wars movie ever made are we comfortable saying that i would be very comfortable saying that yeah yeah um like i looked at it um you know with the new podcast being about fixing movies and like you know seeing what uh what writers have done in the past and like what their other works have been like i i immediately went into that mode when uh-huh. when this movie turned off and i was like okay so, you know there's a writing problem here because it was like it was directed by george lucas and the phantom menace was written and directed by and we were like we were talking then how you put it in one man's hands who has been you know immersed in his own mind for 20 30 years before making this movie and you know some things are going to go sideways and obviously he was like you know he took that that uh that feedback from the first one and like tried to fix it and got somebody else just the person that he got didn't help so it was directed by george lucas and written by george lucas and um oh god i can't remember his name (laughs) It doesn't matter, but like yeah. I looked at I looked at IMDb, and other than a fan film to fix Attack of the Clones, this was the last thing he worked on as a writer. <laughs> wow, I I do wonder overall how many careers were ended because of these movies. Um, I don't think Hayden Christensen did anything ever again. Or Hayden he, Christian, he has he's done a lot of small under the radar stuff okay um you know both jake lloyd and the voice of jar jar banks in part unfortunately because they were horribly harassed which is terrible and and fans should not do that but also i think because they did not show themselves at their best uh also had uh i mean jake lloyd was a kid not really a career to end but still um yeah there were a lot of um a lot of technical problems among other things in the movies we'll talk about them but i want to talk for a second uh this is a terrible segue but here we go uh, but a different technical problem, which is an apology to some of you fans. Um, 
Uh, I have been a little oh, sad yeah. that I wasn't getting, um, you know, that I, I we love uh, feedback on these shows, and I was always kind of wishing we were getting more feedback. Um, turns out, actually, a number of you have been emailing in. Gmail had told me that it was forwarding the, the emails from our Star Wars Universe podcast to my main email, uh, and it wasn't, actually. So on a lark, just to double check it this week, I went up uh, checking that out, and I found a whole bunch of back emails. So um, this is a little off topic from Phantom Menace, but it's on the topic of things that Jeff and I, or myself and others, have discussed. So I wanted to kind of quickly read uh, one or two of these so that Jeff, you and I can, can respond to them, because this is awesome that our fans have been writing into us. Um, and the first one is directly referencing, um, Jeff, a conversation you and I had at the end of our uh, webcast about The Mandalorian. Um, oh, the Darksaber. Yes. And this comes from uh, Marlon Gonsalves. Uh, Marlon, I'm so sorry. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Marlon Gonsalves. So he says, good day. Gonsalves? Um, I'm guessing. No, it's G-O-N-S-A-L-V-E-S. Gonsalves. That's, um, that's probably Gonsalves. Um, I, I should have actually sent this to you, Jeff, because as uh, listeners to Jeff's other podcast know, he loves reading things in accents. That, uh, I'm a reader. I'm and he sure starts with the all. word good day, which makes me think he might be Australian. But just oh, in case, man. we're going to push through. <laughs> Thanks for a brilliant podcast on one of the best Star Wars shows ever made. The Mandalorian is brilliant, and your podcast was the perfect companion to the series. I actually uh-huh. listened uh, to the final episode of your Mando podcast twice because I couldn't believe you didn't pick up on Moff Gideon not wielding the Darksaber. Uh, for someone who's so engaged in the Clone Wars, not recognizing the Darksaber is akin to someone from the MCU not realizing Mjolnir lying in a field. Ooh. Uh, I know that, that that's, that's, that's hitting deep. How uh, dare you? <laughs> the, the ramifications that Mott Gideon has the dark saber is just as important as Mando finding a clan of enemy wizards. Anyway, I could be completely wrong. It gives us a great smiley face, but if you happen to learn why I'm so wrong, looking forward to seeing what you do next across the stranded Panda network. Thank you for being such brilliant content in a much needed distraction from reality. Cheers, one more stranded, and then he has a great uh, emoji of a panda. Nice. Yeah. So, thank Marlon, you. thank you so much for writing in. Uh, this is the kind of stuff I think that we we as creators really love. Jeff, I know you love talking about it uh, on, on your other podcasts. Um, <clears throat> and what I want to just say is um, thank you so much for letting us know about something. Um, I think important context here, Jeff has himself not watched The Clone Wars yet. Um, and I watched it. <laughs> probably eight years ago um and funnily enough uh i i read this email and then like a day or two later uh i got um i got to those episodes again in the clone wars where this comes up so i had a, i definitely had a kind of dough moment um but well, I, I you're saying that you haven't like you're not watching the clone wars literally every day all day i know i know it's kind of hard it's kind of hard and and i huh. and it, it leads to a point that I wanted to make. And because we did get this great email from Marlon, we also had an email from someone else who I think, again, really wants us to be the best podcast we can be, but was honestly a little bit more critical uh, of us for not knowing it. And I wanted to kind of just take this as an opportunity to say, and, and Jeff, uh, you know, let me know where you stand. But for me, this podcast is about my love of Star Wars and is about my wanting to share that love with other people who love it. And I think... One of the things that can happen in fandoms is this idea that to be a fan or even to talk about something, you have to have committed to memory all of the different content. And I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of a problem sometimes with any cast, like even with the MCU. 
But I can understand why if someone's like, it's referenced in one movie, people should know about it the other movies. And I, I, I can understand that, though I would still say, like, I think, I don't think you have to have a perfect memory to be a fan. But I think for Star Wars especially, we have kind of different levels of content. We have all of the movies, which are great. And frankly, a lot of fans, that's all they've done is they've seen the movies and they're comfortable with that. And that's, I think you're still a fantastic fan if that's all you've done. Or you've seen one or two of the shows, but you haven't seen all of them yet. Um, or like me, you have <clears throat> seen a, quite a lot of it. I'm in the process of watching Rebels and Rebellion now. I haven't finished them yet. But I have not committed this all to memory. <laughs> and that's just a, a, a thing I want to be frank about. And, and so I kind of wanted to take this time to say, please, when we get stuff wrong, you know, let us know. Remind us. That's great. That's what this conversation should be about. But understand that if if what you're looking for from a Star Wars podcast is two hosts who have that kind of encyclopedic knowledge going in and can make sure that we're always being perfect about everything, this may not be the podcast for you. Because uh, I think we are both, um, you know, big fans. I'm going to, uh, Jeff, you often dig deep on stuff and do research, which I think is fantastic. And we're going to try and do that. But we're not going to get everything. And especially when it's stuff from shows that we may not have seen or that we saw quite a while ago. Some of that stuff should be maybe missed, um, especially because, and this is this is kind of a different co- comment, I love Easter eggs, but I, I do think it's fair to say that if, if there's a major plot point in a show that you only know if you've seen something totally different, that's not often a, like, I don't think you should expect everyone who watches something to know what it means. In this case, I don't think that's happening because I think you go, as you and I clearly did, just as much enjoy The Mandalorian without having seen it. But without knowing it's the Darksaber, but I do think that's just an important general reminder about, you know, how, how sometimes uh, imagining that we have all that information can become gatekeeping. And so it's just something to be a little bit, a little bit careful of. And I want people to know about us. But um, they, this is this is to me is the perfect way to write in and say, you know, hey, there's something you missed. So, Marlon, thank you so much for letting us know that um, we're going to miss other stuff. But please keep writing us in and we will keep trying to have our encyclopedic knowledge as best as it can be. <laughs> Nah, I'm just going to preface every episode with I haven't seen any of the Clone Wars series. (laughs) And I think that's very fair. I think it does a lot of great um, uh, world building, but I think it's also fair to say, you know, what it doesn't feel, you know, that that not everyone can be expected to have seen it. Um, Well, like I tried to watch. Okay, so I haven't I can't say that I haven't seen any of it. I saw maybe six episodes. uh I remember I remember the episode with Plo Koon. Uh, in space, not needing to breathe, yeah, as much, and like <laughs> that was weird. But like he was floating around, uh, saving some some troopers. Like it was, uh, yeah, it was early season, so you know, obviously, it's a little bit of a of a grind to get through it, and you can you can see the potential in a lot of shows in the first season, but like this one just did not sit with me, and I was like, ah. I'm probably not going to come back to this. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, as we've been talking about on the other side of the podcast, we get into the Clone Wars. I think the show has an awful lot of brilliance to it, especially in later seasons. Um, The first season is very rough. And people who watch the first season and never get past it, I cannot blame them. So I I totally understand that. Um, I kept looking at the total episode count for season one. I was like, God, there's so many. Why? Yeah. Uh, now, most of the uh, all the other feedback we've gotten so far is about the well, except there's one that I'm going to uh, read on air later today. Um, uh, 
most of the feedback we've gotten so far has been about the Clone Wars, and so I will read that next week when we do our next episode on the Clone Wars with um Matt with a uh, uh, Ricky and Sarah. But just again to the fans, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, even when you're critical of us, this is great. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. And so many of you wrote in being so supportive and talking about why you love the show. Uh, not to the podcast, but why you love Star Wars and the stuff we're talking about. Please keep doing it. That's fantastic. That's It's part of the conversation, and we'll always happily read what you have to say right here on air. So um, with all that, uh, Jeff, let's get back to our discussion of the Clone Wars. Yeah, um, circle back. Yeah. Um, and so we were, you know, we'd done kind of a general introduction, and I thought that was a, a nice thing to, to throw in in the middle. And now let's... Um, we're going to have an actual structure because it's going to help us not just spend two hours bashing on the Clone Wars because, like I said, I think there's there's the seeds of what could have been a much better movie in here. <laughs> and there's some scenes that I think people can appreciate. Um, Speaking of an actual structure, I think that that may have helped this movie. That that if might it have had been a good one. idea. <laughs> so, all right. Well, well given that, um, Jeff, do you want to give a brief plot summary? No. <laughs> Okay, let me see if I can do it to the best of my abilities, and please fill me in on where I'm wrong. I'm just um, going to be so mad if I have to recount this plot. <laughs> That's very fair. That's very fair. So, um, we open with the idea, uh, we, we again have the, the scrawl that comes over, and the scrawl tells us that there is a crisis in the Republic, <clears throat> that there's a lot of um, uh, systems that want to separate from the Republic, and everybody's Why? very... Nervous about it? Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? They <laughs> never tell us why. Um, Dooku a little bit does later. Who? Uh, well, we don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> In the fan scroll, it also introduces us to the idea that there's this person named Count Dooku who is – it describes him in the general purple language of a scroll as mysterious and, you know, I think it's enigmatic or something like that. I don't remember exactly the exact words. Um, but basically it's saying like, you know, hey, we're um, – be, be nervous about Dooku, be nervous about the Separatists, they're bad, and that Queen Amidala is in mortal danger. And Queen Amidala, no, that she, and also that she's rushing back to the, um, give me one second, I'm gonna actually read this damn thing. I remember, like, I, I read it out loud uh, with with the kids, and I stopped several times throughout it, just going, why? Yeah. Who? <laughs> I, I think that's very true. So actually, reading it all out, um, there's unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. The Separatist movement, under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku, has made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Again, why? Why? Um, Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue of creating an army of the Republic to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. Um... We'll get to all that in a second, I promise. Let's just finish, though, with the um, the, the plot summary. So, Queen Amidala comes back. Um, she's They attempt to assassinate her. Uh, it doesn't go well, but her one of her body doubles dies. Not sure why she still has body doubles, since I think at this point the word is just cannon fodder. But there you go. Um, <laughs> Who signs so, up to do that? Yeah, the Jedi decide that she must be protected, although they still don't know what's going on. And so they assign Anakin and Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan meets her and is super, super creepy, and she's pretty creeped out. Um, the two of them again have to save her, and this time they go on an epic fight, a, a journey through um, the, the the streets of Coruscant. It is an attempt to be Fast and Furious Coruscant edition that really doesn't work, um, but at the end of which they find that the person they've been chasing this whole time is a changeling um, 
who is just about to confess what happened when they are killed, and they are killed by a mysterious Mandalorian who flies away. So, more discussion about what's going on, people are more concerned, uh, and now at this point, uh, they decide that we have to split up, and uh, Obi-Wan has to try and investigate what happened to uh, the person who tried to kill uh, Amidala, and what's going on with the bounty hunter, while Anakin is going to go off with Amidala to try and hide and keep her safe, because keeping her safe is very important. Um, and again, we're talking more about the Separatists and how they're getting closer to having to separating and that we're getting closer to passing the Army of the Republic, both of which are bad for reasons that are never explained. Um, <clears throat> all sorts of problems so far. Um, but then, um, so Obi-Wan can tell that Anakin has strong feelings for uh, Padme. And, uh, you know, Betty's basically crushing on her pretty hard. So he says, you know, remember, be careful of your feelings. Don't do anything stupid. Just go off and have this complete rom-com in the most romantic possible settings you can have with her as the two of you go off into rom-com land. Uh, more great planning by Obi-Wan. Um, so uh, Obi-Wan goes and searches to try and figure out what happened to, to everything that's going on with Padme and being assassinated. The dart leads him to a space diner where there is a um, a diner on Coruscant, where the fry cook is also incredibly knowledgeable about things that the Jedi don't know about. Okay, sure. He tells him <laughs> that the uh, the dart that he found leads him to Kamino, who are the cloners. Um, Obi-Wan goes off to try and... Uh, I'm going to just kind of do each plot line, and then we'll, we'll circle back. Yep. Obi-Wan goes off to try and learn about the cloners. The cloners tell him that, um, oh, we're so glad you're here because... This mysterious guy named Sifo-Dyas, who's also a Jedi, came and tried to um, get more clones, uh, tried to order a whole army of clones 10 years ago, all based on this uh, Mandalorian bounty hunter named Jango Fett. And they've spent 10 years building this army, training them, doing all kinds of crazy things. They think that Obi-Wan is a part of uh, Sifo-Dyas' plan because he's also a Jedi, even though nothing Obi-Wan does indicates that he has any idea what's going on. The Kaminoans, I think I could go up to them and say, hey, my name is Jeff Randall. I forgot my account number. Can you please remind me of the credit card number that me, Jeff Randall, used? And they would happily give me your credit card number. Uh, their account security like is that. real bad. <laughs> um, they didn't so, do any, like, two-factor authentication at all. Right? Like, Obi-Wan just, Obi-Wan never gets a text to his phone saying, yeah, right? let's make sure you're still uh, working with Sifo-Dyas. <laughs> but anyway, um, he fought, he meets Jango Fett. He feels suspicious. He makes some incredible leaps of logic without being backed up by anything. That's That uh, this is the same guy who he saw in Coruscant. There's tension. They fight. Um, <clears throat> eventually, um, uh, uh, Jango Fett leaves and Obi-Wan chases him and tries to shoot him down. Again, not quite sure why. If you want to learn information from him to blowing up his ship, maybe not the best idea. Um, well, actually, guys, he's chased... He, no, that that's wrong. He's chafing... He's chasing Jango Fett. Jango Fett's trying to destroy him. Fair enough. Uh, Jango Fett, by the way, has made his own clone who's not having any kind of accelerated process and does not have his aggression and uh, desire to rebel taken away, and that clone is his son, who he's named Boba. Um, so, hence, hence Boba Fett we have, um, who's a very charming little psychotic 10-year-old. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, sociopath, yeah, I, 
I, I don't mean to imply a mental uh, a mental uh, illness that I should not have said, but more just you know he's he's pretty clear ha- like happily like yeah dad go kill that Jedi, um charming child Blow anyway up, dad. So uh, Jango Fett leads them to Geonosis. Obi Wan reports that he's on Geonosis to the um, uh, Jedi and says that they're building an army of clones and that the Separatist leaders are all here. At which point Obi Wan is taken prisoner. Um, we then have what I think was potentially my favorite scene of the movie and where I thought the movie could really go in a good direction. Um, Obi-Wan talked, we finally meet Count Dooku. Uh, I think we actually met him a little before when he was talking to separatist leaders, but now we really get to talk to him. And he starts out talking to Obi-Wan about why he thinks Obi-Wan should actually join the separatists. And he makes some pretty legitimate points about how the Republic is totally corrupt and about how um, the Jedi have lost their way and all this stuff. And Obi-Wan is just, no interest in listening to him, like, no, Dooku, you're bad, you're wrong. And then Dooku kind of shows, okay, well, all my stuff about how I hope I can free you is kind of bullshit. I'm going to, you know, help you get killed. Fair enough. I want to point out that this me- this first meeting with Dooku happens about an hour and a half into the movie. Yep. Um, the meeting that kind of sets up what is happening with the Separatists entirely. Yeah. And, yeah, we're going to get to that, I promise. Um so meanwhile, uh, Anakin and Padme uh, kiss, and then they decide that they should not kiss. And so instead, they go on to, as I've said, every rom-com romantic setting you could possibly have. Um, do everything they can to kindle the flames of romance that they're supposed to be fighting. Um, Anakin is a total fuckboy. He really should be wearing a fedora through all of this. A trilby. <laughs> he, Don't he, sully the name of Fedora. It's a trilby. Hey, listen. Okay, yeah. No, he should be wearing that all the time. He does, though, call her Milady, which makes uh. me wonder if this is where the Milady fuckboy trope actually comes from. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but it might be. He romances her. He is terrible. He uses the most off-quoted, most terrible line in all of cinema. Uh, I, I don't sand. like sand. It's yeah, etc. Um, we won't make your ears bleed with that. At some point during this, he realizes that his mother's in danger. He flies back to Tatooine. He meets up with Lars and with um, uh, Aunt, Ver- who will be Aunt Veru, who's now his girlfriend, and his father, um, Uncle. Uh, so he meets with Lars, who is his stepfather now, uh, and then his stepbrother Owen and his girlfriend Veru. Realizes that um, uh, his mother has been sold to this guy Lars, but Lars then freed her and married her. That's not creepy in the slightest. Uh, we'll just call him Thomas Jefferson from now on. No, um, it's fine. But um, it's fine. <laughs> he then realizes that the um, uh, the sand people are the ones who have kidnapped his mother and left her almost dead, but just alive enough that she can stay alive to very conveniently die in his arms just as he arrives. He goes into a, a murderous rage and, as he later says to Padme, kills all the um, sand people, uh, including the women and children. And we'll get to the language he uses, uh, <clears throat> and we hear the dark side music playing because we are being incredibly unsubtle about the fact that this is his path to the dark side. Fine. <laughs> um, him and Pad, no, Padme this whole time has been telling him, like, Anakin, you have to stop rushing into things. You have to stay here and help protect me, etc. Padme now gets the message from Obi-Wan. They both do, saying that Obi-Wan's in trouble on Geonosis um, and that none of the Jedi are close by and able to help. And Padme now is the one to say, no, we've got to go go help Obi-Wan, even though Anakin's trying not to be rash. So she says, I'm going to go. You have to come with me to protect me. They get to Geonosis. They get stuck in a droid factory. Um, ridiculous hijinks ensue. 
uh, including C-3PO's head in a scene that we'll definitely talk about. Um, uh, Anakin and Padme get captured as well. They're going to be uh, murdered by the Geonosians in a ritual combat against, not even combat, they're chained to posts and they're supposed to have these huge space monsters kill them. The huge space monsters come in, but our friends win the fight. They get themselves free. Um, everyone's super unhappy, and especially the Neomodians from last season, who still hate uh, Anna, uh, Senator Padme, Senator Amidala, uh, for no discernible reason other than being mad about their plans about Naboo. Fair enough. Um, so they're going to have them all killed when uh, by droids. When here come the Jedi to come to the rescue. The Jedi come to the rescue. We get epic battle scenes between the Jedi. Some Jedi are killed. We see that Bango Fett's kind of badass always. Um, uh, Mace Windu gets to be even more badass. He kills uh, Jango Fett. Bobo uh, picks up the um, severed Bobo. head of Boba. Sorry, I'm trying to do this fast. I'm going way too slow. Boba picks up the severed head of his father. Um, so now we really need this child to see a psychologist about childhood trauma. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, and when just when it seems like the Jedi are going to win, lots more clones are released. The Jedi are now losing. The Jedi are about to die. And now here comes Yoda with the army of the Republic, and which is all clones. Uh, Yoda very proudly brings in the army of the Republic. Um, he had said earlier that he was troubled by this, but he should go and investigate. Now he's happily the general. He's bringing them all in. We get an epic kind of um, land battle between uh, the forces of the Republic, the clones, and the uh, forces of the droids. And there's lots of explosions and tanks and total lack of coherence about what's going on. Meanwhile, Anakin and Obi-Wan are chasing Count Dooku, trying to stop him once and for all. Padme falls out of the ship, and Anakin is insistent that they go back and save her, and Obi-Wan is like, no, you have got to keep your focus on the mission. This is the whole point. You're losing your focus. You're too focused on her. Um, They go back and forth far too many times for it to make any sense. But eventually they get to Count Dooku. Obi-Wan says, of course, we'll fight him together. Anakin's like, nah, bro, I got this. Rushes in, uh, gets, I think the first of the many, many, many Jedi getting their hand cut off starts now. Because uh, Anakin gets his hand cut off by Dooku. Um, Not immediately. Say again? Not immediately. First True. thing he gets is lightninged. Yes. No, he gets lightninged, which, again, we're supposed to, like, know, ooh, you know, maybe Dooku is Sith. We're not sure. Uh, but it's certainly been, like, the whole time he's talking about, uh, he's revealing the secret that there's this dark, that there's this Sith Lord at the head of the, um, uh, the head of the Republic um, and the Jedi. So, uh, not the Jedi, just the Republic. So they fight. Obi-Wan is also defeated. Uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin are sent off into a corner by Dooku to cuddle. You know, nice, nice reminder. These two have a, a nice touching relationship. Uh, yeah, all the, all the fan shippers get, get, get great content from that. You know, good for them. Um, <laughs> Yoda comes in. Yoda and Dooku have a fight in which for the first time we reveal that, uh, Yoda actually is not disabled in the slightest. He doesn't need the cane and he's a magical bouncing Muppet who can do crazy lightsaber things that make no sense. Um, yeah, he's an Atari master. It's fine. Exactly. Uh, they have a fight, um... Uh, I got it. For a minute, I really wanted to quote Particle Man by TMBG. You know, they have a fight. Dooku wins. Particle Man. Um, anyway, I'm loopy. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just about done, I promise. Uh, Dooku escapes. And then we get to what is probably my least favorite scene in all of Star Wars. And I'll discuss why in a bit. Uh, it is revealed that Dark Dooku has been working with Count Sidious this whole time. It's all a terrible plot just to create this big war to manipulate the Jedi and the Republic. And then we cut to 
a scene of a secret wedding in Naboo where Anakin and Padme are getting married. She, by the way, had declared her love that she has loved Anakin all this time um, because, you know, babysitters always love the kids that they babysat. Um, uh, and, and now they get married and then we roll credits. God. What did I miss? Uh, I mean, <laughs> all right. You missed a good movie somewhere. Yeah. And again, get me on your podcast, Movie Medics, because as I was watching it again this time, I was really thinking about how all the ways this could have been made a much better movie. But let's again, let's go through our normal structure and, I don't think and, we're ready and try to, you know, I, I know a lot of fans do like this movie. And one actually wrote into us. And that's what I'm going to uh, I'll quote her in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but um, uh, let's just kind of go. So general thoughts on the movie. Um, so it sounds like you're not a fan. You know, when I was watching it, like, okay, when I first watched it way back when, when it first came out, 2002, um, I was still in high school and I was like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's a, it's a sci-fi movie. It's whatever. And if I'm being honest at the time, I was probably also a fuck boy. So yeah, that's fair. Watching that happen on screen. I was like, yeah, yeah. You just stick around long enough and a lady will come to you. She'll come around. For anybody <sighs> who ever wondered, I mean, I, I, I got the same lessons, but for me it was Bill Murray and Ghostbusters being a complete stalker and then getting the girl. And and I was a shitty guy for a while. Not cause of the, just because of these movies, but yeah, these movies reinforce shitty ideas and people do shitty things because of them. Um, yeah. Doesn't excuse it, but, you know, anyway, go on. But yeah, I'm glad you can name yeah. that. So this time watching it, I, I was just appalled at the like the pacing of the movie was way bad way wrong the 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 dialogue in it was absurd and it's like i don't know it feels like at the beginning george lucas like you know he made some shots and and he he rolled some footage and was like well we can't throw that away you know we recorded it (laughs) like we have to include all of it right and like there was there there could have been much tighter editing in this movie to like not only not only to like kind of rein in the rampant weird looks mm-hmm. uh but also the the um just the the length of the movie it did not need to be like for what was for what was presented on screen two and a half hours is absurd yeah there were there were so many scenes that could have been cut um you know, I thought so much of that. I, I, you know, in terms of things I liked, I and we'll get more of that in a second. I liked the Jedi battle. I liked the battle in Geonosis. I thought some of it could be on a lot better. The Jedi part of it, I thought basically getting us into land war between the two armies. Um, one or two of those scenes were interesting. It just went on so long. Um, yeah. And then there were just so many, um, th- there were so many things about it that... To me, that was 100% about getting kids to watch The Clone Wars and getting to sell toys. Um, and, like, George Lucas was the original king of cinematic uh, uh, merchandising. You know, I mean, that's part of how he made so much money is he convinced the producers of Star the, the people who gave him the money for Star Wars, to allow him to keep all the rights for merchandising. Because no one had really ever thought about that. And then he made millions and millions of dollars selling all those toys. And it, it seemed to me like, if nothing else, like, just so much of this was meant to help sell more toys. 
because mm-hmm. you're right there were just there were so many scenes that we didn't need there were so many like pondering pondering scenes that just went so slow yeah yeah well not only that but like not just scenes that we didn't need but also like scenes that went on just a second or five too long yeah and like just trim that shit just trim the fat bring yeah. it in and you know there were like uh on the thinking about it when when the ridiculous uh death happened of the uh the 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 double for Amidala, um <laughs> when she's laying flat on the ground and then has to has to indicate that she has died and she like throws her head to the side like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the first time i laughed out loud uh <laughs> during this movie and oh my god when things like that are going on and the the dialogue is just like there's a line, couple of beats. There's another line. Like tighten that shit up, man. Trim yeah. it. We don't need all that. But uh, yeah, the, there, it, part of the problem with it is that every scene, like if you if you go back and look at it, like we don't spend any more than about maybe twenty seconds tops, twenty thirty seconds in each scene before there's a wipe and we go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't let the scenes breathe. Now, I guess that's the way that you try to to break up shoddy penmanship, uh, shoddy uh, uh, with screenwriting, you know, dialogue. But you you don't you can't. Okay, shitty dialogue in the movie is not going to be fixed by faster editing. You just need to write better. And it was Jonathan Hales was the other. Uh, screenwriter whose career ended after this movie <laughs> probably well deserved um yeah I, I, you know things like I, I mentioned with the scene between obi-wan and anakin like to me one of the things about good filmmaking is that you don't get repetitive and here here there is an extent to which like movie like i think it's great when movies really highlight what real life is like but one of the things and i know this like i've been a relationship therapist and i've been in a lot of relationships that needed a lot of therapy. Um, uh, um, and the part of the thing about is that when people fight, it can be tedious sometimes because people just keep repeating the same things again and again. And that's not sometimes when the real focus is the relationship, you can make that good by building the tension, but you really otherwise shouldn't be doing that. And to me, the Anakin and Obi-Wan arguing while they're at the end about whether to save Padme is the perfect example we established that anakin um really wants to save padme we established that obi-wan thinks that no like padme is important but she's just one person if we stop dooku we can prevent this war that will kill millions if not billions for reasons we don't understand um and then anakin one more time says like you know i don't want this and then obi-wan you know is like well doesn't matter we're doing it um that's all you need like, you didn't need – it felt like it was 10 minutes. I'm sure it was not that. I'm sure maybe it was only 90 seconds. But it just <laughs> felt like we had way too much of those two going back and forth. And I felt like there was so much of that, you know? Like, we established yeah. early on that Obi-Wan doesn't have any idea what's happening with the Kaminoans and why they're making the clones. And then they reestablish that with, like, three or four other moments as it goes on. Um, it, it just – it felt like there were so many times where George Lucas – didn't trust his own audience didn't trust, and i think maybe this is part of the like we're writing it for kids thing but even like i mean 
you and me are both fans, huge fans of a kid's show, uh, Avatar the Airbender. You know, I know people who love that when they were eight years old, 10 years old. It is very subtle, but it trusts its audience, even the young ones, to get the subtlety. And I feel like this movie just doesn't have that at all. There's no, there's no subtlety. Everything has to be hitting you over the head and everything suffers because of it. Well, to, to, to point out the, the differences with Avatar The Last Airbender versus this, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender was a, a serialized television show. Mm-hmm. Um, every episode where something from the past was going to come back, they did it previously on Avatar. Well, I mean, they, they did it previously on Avatar anyway, but you could tell what the focus of the upcoming episode was going to be based on what the previously on Avatar said. Right. Um, <clears throat> so... But like that that is kind of where we we get to trust the audience and that, you know, they get the gentle reminders every now and again that this is coming back. You know, the two and a half hour movie, if you're expecting kids to pay attention for that long, you're out of your freaking mind. <laughs> first off, <laughs> that's fair. But I mean, even even within scenes like that, you know, stuff with like jet. Uh, I don't want to do any spoils for Avatar, but I feel like there was a lot of specific moments within it where they establish a particular feeling with with one specific moment and they yeah. don't, they don't need to repeat it three times in the next 30 seconds, you know? Right. Yeah. Th- that, it's, that's, that's the subtlety. Katara, idea. how you feeling? Katara, how you feeling? Katara, how you feeling? Yeah, exactly. It's not that it's Katara, how you feeling? And then she says it and then they move on. <laughs> yeah. So let me, and I, I've hinted at it, but I want to just dive into what is my main complaint about the movie. And I'm, I, <clears throat> and it's also kind of what would be the basis of how I'd rewrite it. And it's because, like I said, this whole time we never quite understand why the separatists are doing what they're doing. And especially we don't understand why the implication is that this will lead to huge galactic war. Because um, frankly, like, if a whole bunch of people separate and the Republic is like, sure, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out, then <laughs> you just now have two separate republics or two separate, you know, uh, intergalactic institute or, you know, uh interplanetary whatever it is institutions um and we keep hearing this talk about how the jedi it's harder for the jedi to keep peace because this is happening we never know why we we keep hearing that like the separatists are bad and evil we never know why and i like the idea of the the narrator maybe being um unreliable that maybe the the scrawl even is not perfect and so when dooku comes in and makes the case to obi-wan I had this huge glimmer of hope get started. And my hope was that maybe now Lucas got it, that maybe now we were getting back to some of the subtlety that's supposed to be at the heart and soul of the Sith, you know, that they manipulate people and that manipulate people like the best way of manipulating people is getting them to do something that they think they're doing in their own best interest. And they think they're doing for the right reasons because they don't realize that that you've convinced them to do it for your own nefarious purposes. And right. so like, uh, like giving over full power to the Supreme chancellor. Yeah, exactly. You know, like Jar Jar Binks is oh, so painful and I wish it hadn't been him, but like what Palpatine does there is, is brilliant because he manipulates them into giving him this power, acting like he doesn't want it. And they all, they all have no idea they're helping him. So to me, when Dooku comes in and says, why are the separatists separating? It's because we think the Republic is corrupt and ineffectual, which we've seen proof of. Uh, frankly, again, I wish the people of Naboo were solidly on the separatist side. 
um, given that, you know, the Republic was totally unhelpful, um, because he thinks the Jedi are being corrupted and being, um, you know, led astray by their own arrogance, something we've definitely seen in the movie. Um, there's a couple of great lines uh, where um, at one point Obi-Wan is looking for his lost planet and he says, you know, well, but if it's not in the Jedi records, it must not exist. And at another point he's talking about sifo and he's saying like, no, he's talking about Dooku actually. And he says, Dooku couldn't be an assassin. He was a Jedi. Um, there's just so much hubris about what the Jedi are. Mace Windu says that. Yes, Mace Windu says that. You're right. And so, and 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 so Dooku's saying like, no, the Jedi have lost their way. They're arrogant. They've they've become you know corrupt and terrible. And by the way, there's a Dark Lord of the Sith at the heart of the Republic. I was like, oh my god, Dooku's going to be one of our heroes. He gets it. He understands. And now I thought we were going to have this movie about how. You know, people like Obi-Wan and and Anakin and some of the rest of the Jedi were going to kind of realize the problems. And we start to have this great conflict. And because the whole nope. time, Dooku <laughs> or maybe even Anakin and Obi-Wan never go with him because they're still locked in that, that Jedi mentality. At least we know that Dooku is this tragic figure who thinks he's doing the right thing, but it's all because of Palpatine's machinations. Like, that would have been – I would have forgiven all the bad romance if we'd gotten that plot. Um, cause that makes it make so much more sense and makes Palpatine's whole plot look so much more sinister and the whole thing seems so much more tragic and, and ironic. And mm-hmm. so that moment when Dooku walks in and meets Sidious, like I literally groaned out loud in the theater. I think I said something like, oh, come on. Um, and I got the number of dirty looks from people around me in the theater. Uh, <laughs> I, I was young. I apologize as well. Um, but yeah, like to, so to me that that's my biggest thought on this movie is that I think that's where it really lost me entirely. Like there was so much that was bad, but I just kept holding out hope that we were going to get that this was going to be the movie that had more subtlety than the first one. And when we got that, I was just like, I, I'm done. I I I I can't believe you're doing us this dirty, Lucas. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, remind me what were the uh, what were the time jumps in between uh, A New Hope and Empire? Uh, and Empire and Jedi. In terms of uh, uh, production years or in terms of years in story? Years in story. So uh, I looked this up before. Um, I believe it's about three to four years in each time. In each time. Um, okay. So uh, let's just go through the whole thing. So the original uh, Phantom Menace is set 32 years before the Battle of Yawin. Uh, this movie is set 22 years. So 10 years later. <clears throat> Uh, Clone Wars all then happen within 20... So the Clone Wars take three years total. Uh, Revenge of the Sith happens in 19 before the Battle of Yawin. So we now know that uh, Luke Skywalker was, 19, or I guess, eight, 18 to 19 years old. No, no, 19 years old, because he's, he's born during that last movie. Um, uh, uh, so uh, Rogue One happens in Year Zero. A New Hope happens in Year Zero of Battle Before Yawin. Um... Empire Strikes Back happens three years later, three years ABY after the Battle of Yawin, and Return of the Jedi happens a year later. So we have a three-year gap between New Hope and and uh, Empire, and then a one-year gap between Empire and Return of the Jedi. Okay, so three and one years in between them, and no character has like a major change in their life by like growing up you know moving from child to young adult or child to adult whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um none of our major characters shift like that uh, in that time frame 
Yeah, Luke has a big sort of epiphany. Like, Luke becomes a Jedi. I think his, his Jedi training happens mostly off-screen between movies two and three. But you're right. He, he He's still basically the same person. Right. So, the I think where, where this movie suffers a lot is that 10-year gap between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Where we're supposed to believe that Anakin has grown up under the tutelage of Obi-Wan and has you know been stubborn and been uh prideful this entire time and <clears throat> the separatists have become a thing and want to separate from the galactic senate like all of these things are stories that could have been told that yeah. that we could have seen happen and i think that you know as we've been talking about it i was like there's actually in this movie yeah, there are two distinct storylines that are pretty big that that they seem like they're different, but they tie together at the end, um, or at least they can. Uh, we've got the the Galactic Senate and the, you know the um, the the separatists. They're they're doing their thing, and the political machinations of. Uh, you know, it's the Supreme Chancellor, right. Palpatine. Um, but you've also got the Jedi doing their thing and <clears throat> and the way that they're dealing with Dooku and Dooku, you know, being a former Jedi, he used to be a Jedi that's not in his nature. And maybe he, you know, maybe Dooku saw all of the, uh, all the, not diplomacy, all of the bureaucracy that was bullshit in the Jedi order and had to get out of it and do things his own way because he's more of a Wolverine than a Cyclops, you know, anything like that could have been going on with that plot line. And these two, like these two stories are big enough to where they could be their own movies. We honestly could have had, we probably could have had a separate trilogy. Like we could have had a trilogy of Anakin growing up. We could have had a trilogy of the, uh, the Senate and it, you know, that whole thing tying in with yep. a separate trilogy. Well, I would say the, the trilogy of Anakin growing up could also be finding out that the bureaucracy in the Jedi, uh, the Jedi order is garbage. So we could have had those two things happening, you know, maybe simultaneously. I don't know. George Lucas is not really that visionary anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he he kind of lost it, but you know, we could have had those, those two stories happening at the same time, those could have been separate trilogies and that would have been great and explained like that could have built the world that could have explained a lot of things that they just kind of expected us to remember from the crawl and just accept. Um, I think that at this point in 2002 audiences are way past just accepting some, some text on a screen to remember an hour and a half later that, Oh yeah. Count the mysterious count Dooku who has just shown up after only being, actually spoken word mentioned one other time. Um, yeah. And he's our big bad. Like, are you kidding me? Are you? No. Yeah. No, Matthew. No, <laughs> I'm not on board. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it just made no sense. Um, and so did you have, <clears throat> did you have any of that same hope that I did that maybe we were going to get an actually like interesting subtle yeah, plot yeah. With, when Dooku gives that speech to Obi-Wan? There was there was that point. I think it was that that one actually where it it seemed like there was a turn yeah. from 
shitty movie into like, hey, this could actually be something. And we got something that was like, hey, this could actually be something for like half an hour, maybe. Right. And then and, and then it went back into, OK, this is the Clone Wars now. Um, I don't know where this movie came from. Like it, it became a Saving Private Ryan in space. Mm-hmm. And like. I, I don't know why. I don't know. Uh, the the whole whole thing was just all over the place. It was like three different movies crammed into one. Or rather, it wasn't even that it was three different movies. It was three different types of movies, three different genres of film smashed into one. Yeah. And in the middle of it was Star Wars with, you know, because the, the, uh, the, the sequence with the giant creatures, like that is... That felt like the Mandalorian to yeah. me, having him fight the Mudhorn and, you know, get the egg and all that stuff like that was Mando. But all of this, like you've already built up all of this bad faith <laughs> in, in the rest of the movie. And you can't just like save it with one sequence of uh, of this like arena battle against monsters with and, you know, like you had said before. Uh, there were some really obvious bad racial, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, racial coding. Yeah. Uh, that was going on in, in here. And I, I was a bit uncomfortable with it, but you know, that again, George Lucas, not really the, the most subtle or best. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, so that happened. And I was like, okay, maybe this movie is turning. You know, this could be the positive thing that we want to keep. But then it went back to this, like, other thing entirely. And then, with no precedent, uh, we get Yoda, Ataru Master. And, like, if I had... You know, I know about Ataru only because I played um, the... Yeah, I, I don't know what that word is. Can you explain? Uh, yeah, it's it's one of the seven forms of, of saber fighting. Okay. And Ataru is markedly different from the others in that it is all about acrobatics and um and putting your opponent off guard by by moving a right. lot and, and doing a lot of uh you like you infuse your muscles with the force mm. and you know, it allows you to jump and leap and spin and, and do all the things that Yoda was doing. Qui-Gon Jinn was supposed to be an Ataru master as well, but uh, in the tight spaces that were in the Naboo, uh, or in the, the place where he was fighting against Darth, um, Maul. Against Darth Maul, he couldn't really use his Ataru style very much okay. um, to any real effect, and so, that's why he lost. So let me ask you, because this will get to the heart of one, and it's a minor thing, but it's something that really bothers me. We've seen Yoda through this whole time walk on a cane. Is the idea yeah. supposed to be that he's actually perfectly fine the whole time or that the force is able to sort of magically help him overcome his being his being disabled to to for a short period of time fight like a, a master? That that's what it is. It's supposed to be that he infuses his his body with uh, the force and he can do all of these great things when he needs to in battle. But it does uh it does take a toll on your body and you can see he's winded afterward and, see, and that's that's, that's a, what it's supposed to be that's a thing that i wish they'd explained because frankly and i i think many listeners who are listening to my other podcasts may know this but some may not um i'm disabled myself i have a prosthetic leg and i sometimes use a cane and sometimes use a wheelchair 
And even, I mean, but that happened to me in my adult life. Even as a kid, I loved Yoda in part because Yoda was someone whose body was not in tip-top shape, whose body was failing him as part of age. But he still was super badass because of the power of his mind and the power of the Force and all that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like when I saw Yoda become magical dancing CGI puppet, all that went away. It was like, oh, yeah. he's just as physically badass as all the rest of them. That That's kind of a letdown, especially because I, I, thought, I just found the scene incredibly boring because it was so fast. Like, I, I didn't get any sense of the drama. It just like, boing, 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 boing. Um, that's an unpleasant noise. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, he looked like a pinball. But, but the point is, I lost that sense. And, and there's also a trope in general about um, supernatural, you know, dis- that you have a disabled character in a, um, a show about people with superpowers of some kind, and the superpower allows them to overcome their disability, you know? And it's, it's, it's kind of a trope, and it's not great for portrayal of disabled people. Um, but, like, if we'd, at least if we'd known that, if we'd known, you know, if we'd heard, like, someone be like, Yoda, you can do that? And him being like, no, I can't do that normally. Like, that, that's me using the Force, but I'm going to go, like, be in bed for a week now, you know? Like, right. at least then it would have, like, tied in. Instead, it just erased so much about what happened with him. Um, yeah. Anyway, that, yeah. that's a small, small side note of mine. But but yeah, go back. To, um, well, yeah, I was uh, the the game that I was that I was playing that uh, made me do the the research was uh, Star Wars Destiny, mm. um, the one with the cards and dice. Um, really fun game, by the way. Uh, just it has the 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 same chase that Magic has, where like I can't keep up with that man. I can't uh, afford to keep up with that. So I I, um, I will quickly say I I I'm a very big Magic the Gathering player. Um, I've been I involved as a judge and a, a, a tournament organizer, and I also used to help run a a board game store. And we had tournaments for both Magic the Gathering and Star Wars Destiny. And honestly, the two player bases were Jets and Sharks. <laughs> we were such rivals with each other. And there was one Saturday where there was a, a one weekend where there was a Star Wars Destiny tournament that was bigger than the Magic tournament that same weekend. And Ooh. all of us Magic players took it as like a mark of shame. So yeah, I, I deep down, I know that Destiny is a great game uh, and I want to learn it sometime. But as a Magic player, I have just like, no, when, when, <laughs> when you're a Planeswalker, you're a Planeswalker all the way from your first white spell to your last whatever. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Referencing both um, board games and mu- uh, card games and musicals, but back to the main point. It's it's fine. Uh, I think that one of the okay. So I, I had this the 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 main point that I had been trying to make is that it was very different movies tied in all together. But you know, making the having the discussion about the Ataru uh, style there makes me think that like. If this, if there had been this trilogy of Anakin growing up in, uh, in the Jedi Order and finding out the bureaucracy was bullshit, like there could have been a lot of discussion of the different styles of saber mastery, like one of which, like one of the one of the big ones especially is that Obi Wan was following the Ataru way up until the events that got Qui Gon killed. After after he watched Qui Gon die, he changed his his saber form. And he went to the, mm. uh, the God, what's it called? The one that's more defensive. I, I got no idea. <laughs> Hold on. I, I knew these at one point. But the next time someone wants to uh, be concerned that, that Jeff doesn't know the Clone Wars TV show, he knows the video games far better than I do. So, you know, we're, we're trying to get all the Seresu. knowledge here we can. It's Seresu. Okay. So after he watched, uh, after he watched 
Qui-Gon die, he switched his combat style from Ataru to Seresu. Uh, Seresu is very defensive. You uh, you let the opponent wear themselves out. It's kind of a rope-a-dope. Um, but you, you basically, it's all about economy of motion and economy of, of movement. And you use as little energy as possible in defending yourself while your opponent wears themselves out and you just take them out when they're, you know, when they've, when they've, uh, blown all their, all their energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it makes sense that he, as a young, as a Padawan, like he was a young man you know, just about to get to the point of, of being uh, a Jedi, watched his master die in what he, and he thought that this guy was an Atari master and he saw, maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe I should get more defensive. And he went ultimate defense. He went that way. And if we had seen like maybe different, you know, styles of saber combat uh, being a thing, then it would have made more sense that him throwing Anakin his lightsaber and Anakin turning on both lightsabers and going like super offensive. Oh, that'd be so and interesting. That could have been a turn, right? That could have been something, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and again, that, like that's, there's so much richness there, you know? And I, I think th- this kind of gets to a, a larger point that I think is also true about like, who knows what I think one of the problems that star Wars really has as an overall franchise is it doesn't really know what is and isn't canon, you know, in terms of like, the books, the video games, like there's been some official declarations, but still it's so muddy and unclear. But yeah, to bring in some of that stuff from the video games would have been, so, or I, I think those video games probably happened after this movie, right? Which video games? The the ones you're talking about, they, they start explaining all of the um the different sword forms and stuff like that. Or is that from the books? I honestly don't know. Okay. I, I've gotten it from the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's, again, it's like, there's so many different, I know there's a whole role-playing game that goes into a lot of it. There's just so much. Um, so let's get to, we're talking about like different plot arcs here. Um, normally we talk about this by character by character. Today, I think we're talking more just like story arcs because we're a little all over the place because God, this is a bad movie. Um, but <laughs> this let, movie was all over the place. Let's let's talk about um, uh, Padme and Anakin. Uh, what, what's uh, what's your overall thoughts on uh, this particular uh, story evolution? There, there was, ah. okay. So I was going to say that there is no story evolution. It just kind of happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can, I can markedly decidedly say that she had no point, no reason to like, to change her mind and, and, you know, decide that she loved this guy. Like you could very clearly see that she was, she was the babysitter and she knew that she was the babysitter and did not want to get involved with this guy because he creeped her out. But for some reason, you know, the writers decided let's make her fall in love with him anyway. And I feel like that's such a disservice to, to Padme Amidala as a character. Yeah. And it's, it's really just a, it's a shame. It's really a shame because she was so strong on her own. You know, she not to not to point out any any Internet tropes, but, you know, she was a strong, independent woman who didn't need no man. Yeah. And And, good. No, you jump in. No, go ahead. Finish. Okay, And having her just be be worn down by the the relentless advances of some fuck boy is absurd yeah 
it's, you know, I don't want to get too deep into to social commentary here or anything. And I think that, they're, like, you know, movies like this don't make people into shitty people. Like, when, when I was kind of a fuckboy, it was because I was a dumb guy making dumb decisions. But right. we're shaped by the culture we're in. And I, I, I think that movie, like, a storyline about a guy who, he, I mean, he's, he's so manipulative is part of the thing. Like the, there's a scene where, you know, they're having an early conversation. He kisses her. They kind of like, they lean in. I think there's like a moment of tension and like, she clearly wants to kiss him, but like he, you know, he's not like an innocent bystander. He's very much part of the, part of this happening. And then she pulls back immediately. And I was like, we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have done that. And what's interesting here is like, she's trying to protect him. Like it's, yep. she, she, on some level, she shouldn't, has no reason not to be doing this, but like she's trying to protect him and his dedication to the Jedi council and all this kind of stuff. And so later there's a scene when, um, he basically says like, I have been dying inside every day since that cruel kiss. And he just says that like, she is so cruel to have kissed him once and now not return his love. And that it hurts him so much to be around her. It is just, 100% gaslighting, manipulative, fuckboy bullshit, you know? Like, <laughs> for, forgive me not pulling any punches here, but it made me so angry, especially now watching it now, because, like, yep. and, because and, and the result is, like, you know, we watch it as kids and think, yeah, that's how you get the girl. You you show her your pain because women are supposed to take care of guys' pain. And just, uh, it, <laughs> it, and again, let me pull back from the social commentary of it just to get back to this. You're right. Padme is such a strong character. We see that so much in this movie. And they never give us any possible reason to think why she would fall for him, you know, and and why, as we'll later find out, his his turning would mean so much to her, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I kind of would again, they're never gonna do this in a kid's movie, but I kind of would actually have loved it even more if, you know, like. The height of like fear and and thinking they're gonna die and maybe they have one night together and they fall into bed together and the next day Padme's like Jesus what the hell did I do that was really stupid uh, yeah, we shouldn't have but done then that. two months later she's like by the way Anakin that one time we hooked up and I was really dumb I'm pregnant what are we gonna do you know <laughs> like that would have made so much more sense and uh, you know I what are the Jedi views on abortion who knows let's find out oh God we're never gonna get that movie of course but it just like you said, you know, I think what you said about the 10 year age gap is perfect because this movie is all tell no show. They tell us that the separatists are bad. They never show us. They tell us that Suku, uh, Dooku is our enemy. They never show us. They tell us that Padme has actually been in love with Anakin this whole time, but they never show us. And it just makes all of it fall so flat. Yep. Yep. And there's there's a little bit of social commentary in there as well in that uh the main ones that are separating are uh like the bankers guild and the trade federation and all of these like all the people that are shown around the table are uh business people and not senators not um Yes, the there's no one who... Not politicians. Everybody seems to just have a monetary interest. Um, right, right. And they're the ones who are separating from the Republic. Except also... Why are they even there? The Neomodians who also have this, like, really, really, really intense hatred of Queen Amidala specifically in a way that, like, 
feels like what a 12 year old boy would do about someone who like, you know, got more votes for him than like, you know, eighth grade class president. Um, right. But like you tried to take over a planet. She and a whole bunch of Jedi stopped you. Like, okay, like be mad at her. Maybe you want to kill her later. But like the whole focus of this movie is the plot to kill her. And she's one of the senators trying to fight the the bill to, to get the army of the Republic passed. But just one, it, it the hate of her makes no sense. Nothing the Separatists do makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. we're supposed to be on uh, Anakin and Padme. Sorry, um, sorry. I'll just say on on both of these stories, though, it's one more reason why I would say the Clone Wars is is really worth watching if you get a chance. Again, getting past the first season because. We do meet a lot of characters who are separatists who actually believe in the separatist cause because they think it's for the best, as well as we do see some genuine chemistry between Anakin and Padme. Um, Okay. But yeah, I'm just looking at it. I'm trying to see if there's anything more about Anakin and Padme um, that's that's worth commenting on. I I think we can probably just move on. Um, There's the few times where uh, she decidedly says, don't look at me like that. Don't do that. Stop. She repeatedly says, no, don't do that. And he continues to do that. Yeah. And continues to look at her like that. Yeah. It made me very uncomfortable. And especially because, like, you know, uh, we joke about how she's a babysitter to him, kind of. Like, she's not actually, but like definitely the age difference there is one where it's like, eh, this is kind of creepy if you're into him. But also, like, I mean, in the same way, like, you know, you're not supposed to develop feelings for someone when you're in a professional relationship with them because it 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 makes things uncomfortable and it's it's harassment it can be and it like because you can't just easily end the professional relationship and it also creates um you know power imbalances okay so mm-hmm. now let's imagine that your life has been threatened many times you've come very close to death on two different occasions just in this one movie and the person who is now sworn to defend you who's your only option to stay alive if you get attacked again, has now told you he's very mad at you for not wanting to kiss him back. That's not mm. any, like, mixed... like That's not any kind of, like, additional pressure to be added into the situation. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's not fair to her in the slightest. Like, from Anakin's point of view, or even the frickin' writers. Why even attempt assassination on her? Yeah, it it doesn't uh, so much of it. Let, let's go anyway. to let's go to Anakin though, because I do think that that the Anakin plotline is actually a pretty good one. Um, even if again it's handled very non subtly. Uh, what's your take on kind of Anakin? I guess it's mostly the Anakin and Tatooine story. Anakin on Tatooine. I, I mean, having him. Okay, man, I would really like to have seen. Anakin going back to Tatooine in movie three Mm. of his arc of being in the Jedi order. And maybe, maybe he's getting, you know, feelings of, of, um, you know, the bureaucracy is, is garbage and maybe I need to step away for a minute because now like we've heard, sorry, I've got a lot of mixed thoughts on this. So we've heard, uh, in this movie that Dooku used to be a Jedi. Mm-hmm. We have at no point in prior canon ever heard about somebody 
who used to be a Jedi who is not now Sith. Yep. You either Jedi until you die, or you turn dark and, and become a Sith. So, having Dooku used to be a Jedi, if he had gone not Sith, or if he just stepped away to to be a different kind of, of good force, uh, and maybe like reached out to Anakin because he saw... You know, he had heard about Anakin having trouble and struggling and was like, you know what, maybe this will be another guy on my side. And then we got a third, uh, a third faction in here, a growing, I don't know, gray Jedi sect. Maybe, maybe Anakin is going toward that direction and being told, you know what, maybe embrace your feelings, but don't take it to a dark place. And he's encouraged to go to Tatooine and then goes to Tatooine and finds that you know, that his mom is, is captured in, you know, by the Tusken Raiders who have never been seen take a prisoner so far in canon, but apparently they do. Uh, um, that's that notwithstanding. <laughs> if, if he found his mom and that drove him to a dark place and, you know, maybe, maybe Dooku has to live with that kind of, uh, that shame. And, oh man, you know what would be freaking awesome? Tell me. Is if in Revenge of the Sith, when it's Obi Wan and when it's Obi Wan and and damn it, Obi Wan and Anakin are fighting uh, in the lava factory, whatever. Um, when they're having their fight, and he's like, "I loved you like a brother," and like you can't go down this dark path. What if it had been Obi Wan and Anakin? And Dooku and all three of them are fighting each other Mm. because Dooku is trying to say like, you shouldn't have gone that far. Obi-Wan is mad at, at Dooku for taking him out of the Jedi order, but also trying to stop Anakin. Anakin's mad at both of them because neither of his teachers understand him and the pain that he's going through. All three of them fighting each other might've been a real, like not only could it have been really cool choreography, but that would have been awesome story. Yeah. That could have been so good. And you could do it that way. Um, you know, like for me, I think another way of doing it is if Dooku becomes much, like you said, much more of a main character. Like what if he was introduced in episode one, you know, and what, what if he was the guy on the Jedi council who was sort of saying like, you know, who's kind of pushing them to be more concerned about things and no one was listening to him, you know? And so by, by this movie, we hear he's left and you're right. There's some talk about like, but Jedi never leave. Or there's talk of like, well, you know, remember Jedi, you know, happy pants left, you know, 10 years ago and, (laughs) and he's fine just doing his own thing. Retired. Yeah. Like give us some context because you're right. We don't know where they fit. And it, um, I will say that the the TV show Clone Wars makes references in other occasions to other Jedi leaving, and and there's one one character who says that he at one point was very tempted to to, to almost leave, um, but we never get a sense that that's about being Sith. It's about just like I wanted to, you know, kind of like you know, um, uh, uh, Maria from Sa- you know Sound of Music. I fell in love, so I wanted to leave the Order. Um, like that's just, and I, th- I think there's kind of a I think at one point like that said to Anakin, like if you want to love her, you have to leave the Order. Um, but yeah, it doesn't mean Sith. Um, <laughs> and that's never established that that's an option. Yeah. And I, I think At you're right. I think movies. that could have been such an interesting thing, especially because like, yo, it, to me in so many ways, once you establish Dooku, then now a lot of the story should be 
the fall of Dooku, you know? And, and, and this actually, I think, gets back to what you were talking about, about how this is kind of two different movies. I still am kind of the idea of what if you had this movie without Anakin Skywalker at all? You know, what if Ooh. what if this trilogy was really about the fall of the Republic, the fall of the Jedi, and the fall of Count Dooku? You know, it, and that like Count Dooku becoming a Sith through like the subtle machinations of Palpatine. Um, you know, you can still do that with Anakin too, but uh, I just keep getting frustrated as we go down different plot lines. So let me pull this back to Anakin himself, actually, because and that's entirely my tangent. Um, I I think you're right. Sorry. I think this would have made more sense in movie three, but I I do think it works here. I think it's a well. I would say it works for Anakin. It makes me feel like how there's any po- forget all the fuckboy stuff. Once Anakin says, "I slaughtered the children because they're animals and I hate them," I slaughtered them like animals. Yeah, well, he says, "I slaughtered like the animals because that's what they are. They're animals and I hate them." Um. Uh, the exact words is I killed them. I killed them all. The children. They're like, I killed them like, they're like animals. I hate them. Um, how Padme could possibly love him after that. I have no idea. Right. But right. I paused the movie when we were watching it at that point, And I was like, she still fucked this man. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, well, I mean, th- this is an incredibly sexless world. Maybe it was IVF. We don't know. Uh, the force, <laughs> force impregnation. <laughs> Uh, oh, that yeah. sounds super creepy, actually. In, um, in vitro forcialization. But but just going back to that, even putting aside the, the Padme part of it, I do think that that's a brilliant way of showing the fall. Because what we've established from the first couple movies is, and, and this is what I keep wanting to talk to Matt Carroll about from the other podcasts, because to me, this is the ethical heart and soul of the movies. It's the idea of that if you hate people for the very best of reasons— that you will stop seeing their humanity or their whatever, whatever the word, their sentienceness, whatever it is, you know, you'll stop seeing them as individuals and you eventually get to a point where you're just like, all of them are awful. They're not even real people. They're animals. I can kill them all, the women and children included. And that that's the, that's the path to the dark side, literally is like that, that righteous anger, very legitimate anger and hate can, can lead you into some terrible places. Um, I've my own opinion on that has shifted and I've become more like I think sometimes righteous anger and hate is a good thing but I do still think that 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 that's possible and I love that they showed it in that again I wish it had been more subtle I wish that the the <laughs> scenes with his family made any sense at all because when we get to new hope the the dynamic the way that uh Uncle Owen talks about Anakin makes no sense given how little contact they have in this movie um but but I did I did at least really like that that scene because I thought it was a nice way of establishing like here's what we mean about how his attachment to others he's so attached to his mother that his anger about her death and his fear about her death and his, and his hatred about her death leads him down this dark path. Yeah, yeah. God, there's so many things that could have been better right? in this movie with a better writing team, and and not to say that. I know that I've said specifically the words George Lucas is no longer a visionary. I'm not saying that he hasn't created a great world here, but that was, you know, 30 years prior to this, this film. Like, it may be time to get some other opinions on what might fit into it uh, and not just the one other craptastic writer that you got on this guy. I I think he definitely, uh, we talked about this for the last movie, but he fits now into that world of, I'm too big to be edited. 
and right. and no one can tell me I'm wrong. And I think these these movies really suffer for it as well as my. And again, this is all this is all Hollywood insider stuff and 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 gossip. But I've heard it confirmed from a number of different sources that makes me think that there's some really legitimacy to this. That you know he always had a real kind of I'm right, Hollywood is wrong thing. You know he he. There was some stupid rule that Hollywood had about where the credits go in the movies, and he was like, screw that, I'm doing it my own way, and I, I kind of respect him for that. But he always was like, I want nothing to do with the way Hollywood says it should be done. And and that when Phantom Menace was so criticized, instead of having a moment of like what I really hoped he was going to do, of saying like, okay, well, maybe maybe I was a little off the mark there. Let me kind of go back to the original movies, figure out what was really great about them, talk to some others. My understanding is that he just doubled down and he was like, it still made lots of money. You people are all wrong. I'm right. I know what I'm doing. I'm not listening to anyone. And fuck you. I'm going to make just as much of a kid's movie as I did last time. Um, And that's 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 why you have Jar Jar Binks declaring the fate of the entire Republic. <laughs> just God. Oh, just the best one. The best person for it. The oh. And that was oh, that was like a stick in the eye. He was just like, oh, yeah, you didn't like Jar Jar? Well, he's bringing down the whole Republic. You're welcome. Say something again. Say something else. I dare you. I want to know who hurt the political system of Naboo. Because not only do they, <laughs> first of all, they elect queens, which I don't quite understand. Um, yeah. But sure. I thought, um, I thought that kings and queens were not elected. I mean, they thought they did in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but, like, that's about it. No, she clearly says, like, I wasn't even the youngest queen when I was elected. Um, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yo, you're just saying, like, that's, that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how monarchy works. Yeah. Um, and and on Naboo, they seem to think mostly that children should be their politicians, uh, or at least because they, they have very young queens and that other younger senators. Fine. And then sure. the Gungans think that Jar Jar makes a good senator. I, it, none of it makes any sense. Um, let's talk though about, um, the one other kind of big plot point here, the clone army. Um, what's your take on the way the clone army, why we find out that it's being created and the plot there and then how Yoda winds up being the one to be like, cool, we got to get an army. Let's go fight. <laughs> Yoda's, uh, it, Yoda was like, I'm going to go check this out and see what, uh, what's going on here and see if I can't figure it out. And then he shows up later, like, yo boys, ride or die. What up? <laughs> like we got a clone army. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Yoda, um, Yoda, ride or die. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, it. It was such a, a weird twist to have that happen. And again, this could have been a separate movie about, you know, is the, <sighs> Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Is the is the the process of cloning an army ethical? Is it right? Does the republic care about that sort of thing? Does that fit in the the canon anywhere? We all we already know that slavery is abolished and and gone in pretty much all of the central planets, but like is does Camino care about that? Is it okay for them to step out to Camino to to get a clone army? I don't know. They don't establish it. They they don't they don't even talk about it. Yeah. They're just like, hey, uh this old master that died ten years ago has uh has put in an order for these clones. And they're like, huh, well that's neat. Guess I mean we'll we'll use them because we're not gonna let it go to waste. <laughs> you know, you've got ten years worth of clones built up here and whew, there's a lot of them. Why and then 
and then there's that whole uh that whole uh interchange or exchange between obi-wan and the the camino guy with him saying like if you want more like if you want to put in another order like we need to know now <laughs> because it takes a while to, to grow these like it's gonna take some time yeah to grow more and like is that okay like that this was coming out in a time in America or the world's history where like cloning was becoming a thing, like an actual thing in the world. And a lot of ethical debate was going on about it. And damn, if they didn't just completely ignore that, everything about this should be making people suspicious. You know, clearly the, the, um, the, the, this Jedi was not acting on the, uh, advice of the council. He was lying to people. Um, there was something clearly nefarious going on. Obi-Wan tells the Jedi Council that. So the Jedi Council knows this. They also know that a person who's deeply involved with the making of this army is directly connected to the Separatists, this guy Jango Fett. Like, they're actually fighting him right then and there. Um, and so the idea, like, I get... For me, if you want to tell me a story about being about smart people being manipulated... You have to make me believe that it's possible the smart people would fall for the plan. Um, to me, it is so blindingly... And I get it if there's stuff that we see that the characters don't see. But just going by what Yoda and Obi-Wan and Mace and the rest of the council sees, it should be so blindingly obvious that this is this is a setup in some way. That the fact that Yoda was willing to ride in with the clone army... Um, I just found it so disappointing because I was like, that, that doesn't make any sense. This is so clearly not what's supposed to be at. This is so clearly exactly what they want you to do. Um, yep. And part of the problem, uh, you know, you said I'm okay with the, with maybe Yoda and Obi-Wan don't see some stuff. If, you know, we know if we have knowledge, they don't. That's the thing though. These are Jedi. They are one with the force. They, they hear the, the voices of, past force or past Jedi speaking to them through the force. They gain knowledge that should not have been gained otherwise through the force. They are very insightful and they, they are wizards. Like they should know everything. They should not be, you know, they shouldn't be outsmarted by somebody who, who just puts like some machinations into play in these incredibly unsubtle ways in this, like yeah. it, it would have to be several layers deep. And, you know, this guy convincing this guy to do that thing, which convinces that guy to do that thing, to convince that guy to do that thing, to convince that guy to do that thing. And now I have the power. Like, you know, it's a way you... it shouldn't be like, I want to put this order in to make that happen, to make you guys do the thing. And I got the power. You know, it's a way you could have done this. What if it was Dooku who went to Kamania? What if it was oh to to check the order? Yeah, no. What if it was Dooku who was suspicious about the Republic and and was starting to move towards the Separatists, and so he went to discover the clones, and he realized that it was all this plot, and that's that was kind of his final straw of like the Republic is is lost and done and completely under the control of a Sith. That's why we're breaking away, because now what happens is we get more of Dooku's motivations. We the audience get to learn that the clones are clearly supposed to be 100% a Sith machination, but Yoda mm. and Obi-Wan have no idea. And so if you find some other way for them to find out, 
then it makes a lot more sense for them to be like, well, I don't really love that this army exists, but YOLO, let's go fight. Um, like, it's still kind of dumb of them, but but wouldn't that at least make it make so much more sense? Well, okay, how about this? Uh, let's let's take that a little farther and say, what if it was, what if Dooku went, was part of the order, he went to check it out, and he finds this clone army, he reports back to Yoda and and says, there's this clone army, this is a bad idea, I don't agree with it, we should destroy it. And Yoda's like, nah, let's embrace it. And Dooku's like, I'm sorry, you said what now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then Yoda comes in, ride or die clones, what up? And then Dooku takes that as like, you know, this this is the last straw. The Jedi Council has fallen apart. Uh, they've gone far astray or far afield of what, you know, is what is right. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would work so much more better. Like, and then his fight with Yoda at the end could have been him leaving the order. Yeah. I spe- and and I mean, even to, to, you know where we probably needed that? Episode one. Maybe. I mean, it could happen here too, but yeah, it, it, it just, well, yeah, him leaving the order here could have, I mean, even if you, if you want to condense it to, to three movies, like what we got, you know, we could have Dooku established in the council in the, in episode one. And have him be the the dissenting voice, you know, the the one that speaks out like maybe this isn't right, and you know maybe he's the one that speaks up in favor of the one on the council that speaks up in favor of training Anakin. Yeah, and Qui Gon's like, no, I'm gonna go with Dooku because that's that's a cool idea, uh, training people who are too old. That's a great idea, and then. Dooku, you know, time jump. We've got Dooku 10 years later where he's just like, damn it, I'm fed up with this. I'm out. (laughs) At the end of this movie, he leaves and he leaves the order. But he's been he's been the one that's been uh, talking to Anakin on the council. And Anakin has really been confiding in him, not Palpatine. Yeah, Anakin has been confiding in him, not Palpatine. And then Dooku leaves and Anakin's like, you know what? Maybe he's got a good idea. Yeah, that that would have made so much more sense, you know, and then we get this great conflict between Obi-Wan and Dooku, you know, about the two of them kind of um, going back and forth, uh, especially because like, because du- Dooku was trained, uh, did Dooku train um, uh, Sifo-Dyas or was it the other way around? I feel like there's some connection there. No, no, Sifo-Dyas was not, he was a name. He was not in, in any... Right. Anything. Yoda trained Dooku and Dooku trained Qui-Gon. Correct. So we have this whole chain. So yeah, like then do a conflict between Dooku and Obi-Wan, especially as like Obi-Wan is trying to, oh, oh my God, think about it this way. Could have been so good. Because Qui-Gon said to Obi-Wan, you have to train Anakin for me, right? So that's why yeah. Obi-Wan's doing this for the memory of Qui-Gon. Now, Qui-Gon's master, the one who trained Qui-Gon, Dooku, is giving him advice about how to train Anakin. And Obi-Wan, of course, yeah. at first would be like, this is the dude who trained Qui-Gon. He would know. And then he's starting to doubt that. And he's starting to question that. What great tension would that be? That would be so good. Such great tension. And then that would make a great three-way fight in the third movie. Yeah. Um, um, uh, I'm totally with you there. I feel like I steered this episode into being a movie medics episode. Yeah, no, no, trust me. That was that we we both had our hands on that particular tiller. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm with you all there. And and 
like I said, get me on Movie Medics. I think it's going to be a great podcast. Um, but let's let's pull it back to to some more other things. So I think we've gone through most of the arcs. Um, what are the best and worst moments? And let's challenge ourselves. What are the best moments of this movie for you? I think the best moment is all of the Jedi coming out of the woodwork in yeah. uh, in the Geonosian Coliseum. Yeah, you know, even if that was <clears throat> not a uh, not a great like. Uh, what's the word? Not a great representation of other cultures. Mm-hmm. We'll say um, that was a really cool scene with them. All of the lightsabers in the Coliseum. Like we hadn't seen that sort of thing in these movies at all yeah. before this. We've never like, seen like more than two Jedi on, on screen at the same time working together. Right. So having them, like, even if it wasn't great choreography and they were all just kind of standing there waving their sticks around, like, it was it was so cool to see so many Jedi all in the same place like that. And, you know, everybody has their own specialties and their own powers. And Kit Fisto's doing his thing. And Mace Windu's doing his thing. Keati Mundi's doing his thing. Like, everybody's all all over the place. And it was, mm, it was so cool. And Ayla Sakura had her own style. Like, this could have also been a great... Like, as much as I like it, I also am like, it could have been good. It could have been even better... If yeah. we had known about the different forms of saber no, combat, best. we're just talking about them. the best moments. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, but best. I, I agree with you. I, I like that scene a lot, especially because it's the first time we see a Jedi die who doesn't want to die, um, like or, or die in combat. I mean, like Obi Wan dies because, um, you know, he decides to let Vader strike him down, so he becomes stronger than ever. But other than that, yeah. like Yoda dies of old age. You know, Luke never dies and, and pretty much seems invulnerable to anything except another uh, light, lightsaber user. Like, Vader's yeah. the only one who ever has him in any actual real danger. Um, and so to see that, yes, like, enough droids, enough Geonosians, like, the numbers will eventually get you. Jedi die in this battle. Um, Jango Fett kills a Jedi because, as we establish in, in other parts of the canon... Mandalorians have been learning to fight Jedi for generations and they're good at it. Um, like I, I love that because it also, to me, it helps set up what we're going to see in the next movie, because if you make Jedi, like, especially in movie one, I think you talked about this Phantom Menace. They just are. It is so easy for them to just mow down thousands of, of droids without a second thought that the yep. idea that they could be wiped out eventually in uh you know by the the empire turning on them doesn't make sense and so establishing that yes jedi can die that it's really hard to kill them but they can be killed to me that that's really important i think that's definitely a a good moment for that um yeah and this that's actually the first point in this movie where there's any sort of a of tension at all because everything that's happened up until then has just been like super green screen like the the characters are just dancing around and like the the sequence in the factory was like oh, okay God. so bad yeah right like it was so terrible because all of it is super cgi you can tell that like they're not being directed well on where things are there's no tension there's no like nobody looks like they're scared of what's going on they just look like they're like analyzing it and they're going to get out of it it's fine but there's no there, it feels like there's no stakes there's no tension toward it and then finally in the geonosian coliseum jedi are dying so there's actually like you feel the weight setting in 
you feel that tension mounting as the the droid army is is building up around them before uh before yoda comes in like gandalf yeah (sighs) you're right i mean that whole here's something we talked about from the first movie that carries over here you can do two different things you can have a parody of a fight scene in which a droid is doing silly ridiculous things or you can have an actual fight scene that seems to have consequences and concerns and where we believe that bad things can happen it's very hard to do both and yeah the whole scene in the like like in some ways like that scene in the droid factory like the visual of it is fantastic and like i um uh, I, I do canning, you know, you like can like strawberry jam and stuff like that. And part of it is like, yeah. you know, you dip a, 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 a Bell's bottle in, um, um, a glass jar in, in boiling water, you fill it up with boiling water and then you use these tongs to lift it up and pour it out. And I've been doing that for 10 years. And every time I do, I think about that scene on Geonosis with like the big pots of lava being dumped out, you know, cause it was an iconic <laughs> moment. It was great. And that scene is so taken away by the ridiculousness of C-3PO getting, you know, his head and a droid's body mixed up. And even that scene with the lightsabers, which is so good, is made so much worse because of, again, the pratfalls of C-3PO and the droids. And it's just... Every good moment in this movie, I feel like, could have been so much better if they hadn't done something dumb. Um, Yeah, it's like they undermined themselves at every good turn. Yeah. for me, though, I think that's definitely one of my favorite moments. I think the um, the fight scene on uh, – not the fight scene, the um, the confrontation, as I said, between Obi-Wan and Dooku also is just really one of my favorites. Um, and the little bits of acknowledgement of when they're discussing, like, do we want to have the um, the this clone army? Um, and you said before, like, there's so many great ethical issues to discuss. I, I don't mean to keep pushing it, but the a big part of why I love the Clone Wars so much is that a fundamental part of that story is what is the moral value of the clones and should we be using them? Is it ethical to be using them? And that one of the themes that's really explored, um, this is a, this is an overall plot spoiler for the, for the show. So skip ahead 30 seconds. If you're planning, planning to view it and don't want it though, it's not even a plot point. It's just kind of a theme that's developed, but if you want skip ahead 30 seconds, um, but is the idea that the Jedi having to become generals and not and treating the clones like they are just pieces on a, a a war map instead of actual living things is a huge part of their own fall because it is them like not recognizing the humanity of the people they're working with it is brilliantly done in the, in the tv show and it's it, like but again it's so frustrating because that's in a tv show and like you, you couldn't at least bring those ethical issues in here um <laughs> It says a lot that every time I try to bring up like the positives, I keep going back to negatives, but at least, yeah, at yeah. least there's I a did positive the same thing. there. Um, so what are the worst parts of the movie? I mean, I think we've spent an hour and a half talking about the worst parts of the movie. Yeah. N- narrow it down to just one or two. What What are the absolute worsts for you? Ah, man. I, I hit a real low point when, uh, when Anakin delivered the kiss because she had been saying no don't stop the whole time and then he gives his I don't like sand and then he's like everything here is soft and smooth and then touches her yeah he strokes her like she's a pet 
<sighs> it's so, so wrong. For me, that's definitely the worst. Um, I hadn't even caught that part, but you're so right. And then the other thing is just, as I said, that moment where Dooku and, and um, Sidious come back to, to, you know, show that they're working together. I almost walked out of the theater because I was so mad about that. <laughs> Um, I mean, that was, that was the end of the movie, so you'd been okay. So so we, we, we talked a lot about this, but let's again kind of just focus on, on, on our outline and finishing this up. Uh, our One of our promises is that we won't ever have an episode that goes longer than the thing we're talking about. Um, yep. And w- this episode, I think, is already longer than we want it to be. We're going to try and keep these mostly around an hour, hour and 20 minutes. But you know what? The movie is so long, we still have lots of time to go. <laughs> um, we're not going to go that far, I promise, but... <laughs> Um, but in terms of how did this fit into the overall story of the the six movies, the nine movies, uh, first in terms of world building, what do you think this did in terms of world building for us? It had a lot of potential for world building. It had a lot of potential for uh, establishing not just not just world, but like the ethics of the Republic. Mm-hmm. Like in the first movie we get, or rather in episode one, we get the Republic. Holy crap. That's the thing. Uh, and then we have to, we have to discover why the Republic exists, what the Republic feels uh, like is the best thing, uh, establish its political leanings. It's, you know, there's, there's so many things, uh, there's so many things about the Republic as a character that need to be discovered and, and felt out. And that just didn't happen in this movie. And this is where it should have happened. Yeah. And, you know, the, the whole, uh, the, the issue of, like the Jedi are not infallible with their archives. The Jedi have archives. First off, whoa, that's kind of cool. Holy crap, that's a crazy thing, right? And the lady saying, "If it doesn't exist in our archive, it doesn't exist." Like, okay, way to be real arrogant about your archives, but all right. Um, like you've discovered everything. Look at you, right? <laughs> and and having like people able to hack in and and remove items from that archive uh you know remove information remove planets star systems like that's a that's a big implication yeah like there's a lot that could be going on there and and it's just never addressed and i i will say i i actually thought those parts were a lot better than you did and i'm gonna say one of the things with head canon is it's hard to remember like what's happening specifically in this movie and part of i think what Watching the TV show The Clone Wars has made me like both this movie and the third movie so much more because I feel like it does fill in those gaps. And so I watch this and I I feel like the gaps aren't as big of a problem. And maybe that's because I'm seeing things better or maybe it's because I'm just filling in the gaps from something outside of the movie. And that should like that's not OK. The movie needs to do it itself. Um, right. But I will say, like, every other time I'd watch this movie, I always got mad at that scene in part because, like, the kids figure it out for him. But it seems really incredibly obvious. Like if all the gravity is saying that there's a planet there, then there's probably a planet there. Um, And I thought it was a very dumb scene. This time, I actually thought it was actually really well done and very subtle. And maybe actually goes in more of my best moments because I thought the point was that, yeah, the point of this is that, of course, Obi-Wan should see that it's possible the records could be wrong. Of course, the librarian should see that. Of course they should all see that maybe Dooku and sifo could be really that evil. But that they're so locked in the hubris of the Jedi that they don't see it. And that only a child who hasn't been fully indoctrinated in that yet is able to see the incredibly obvious truth 
that everyone else is missing. Um, you know, it would have been great to have that sort of that sort of discussion on uh, how dangerous indoctrination is. Right. While maybe one of our main characters is growing up. Yeah. That. Oh, that could have been a good point. Um, well, especially because Yoda is the one. Both Yoda and Obi Wan are like, "Wow, the kid pointed that out." But they never then have a moment of like, "We should start questioning our hubris." Like it. It's a great <laughs> lesson, but it never lands. Um, yeah. But I, I did think they did a lot between that and the other assumptions of really under- helping us. You get the the um, the hubris of the Jedi. Um, I liked some of the world building. Um, I hated the diner scene. I thought it just felt like. <laughs> it, it, it's a fun idea that to like build this idea of a criminal underworld in Coruscant, but I think again that would need its whole that that would need a whole other movie to establish. Yeah, that's a different movie with different set of main characters. Because like uh, that is so far beneath Jedi, it is unreal. But like for a Mandalorian type show, how good would that have been? Right? Oh man! Oh man! Like uh, and and like there's a character there's a character from the Clone Wars who winds up like going and like striking out on her own and and spending some time on um with the criminal underworld that that character should have gotten their own show and, and like had a fantastic arc you know there's there's so much good that could have happened because again what like this diner guy what if he was like you know a former, you know, a partner of the Mandalorians, or he worked for the cloners. Like he's got some kind of dark past, but we don't know that. And so it doesn't make any sense why he's just, you know, I'm the jovial guy who makes burgers and knows everything. Um, And why the hell does Obi-Wan know him? Yeah. Like how, how many degrees of Kevin Bacon is Obi-Wan away from like criminal underworld? Yeah. And and just about Obi-Wan and Criminal Underworld, and we are going to promise start wrapping up soon, I very well promise, but I want to kind of make this one point. Let me, let me ask you this, because you, like me, believe in justice. You, you like me, have some really good thoughts. Nah. And, well, I'm sure that you, like me, <laughs> think that drug addiction is, is kind of a problem in our world. Yeah. If I told you that there was a way to go up to a drug addict and without any consent on their part, without them once saying, I don't want to be a drug addict, mind control them. And brainwash them so that they decided to no longer be a drug addict. And the government just started doing this without any, like, thought about, like, <laughs> how do we feel about, you know, white brainwashing people to make them not do a thing that we think is not good for society? Man, what, what's your, what's your, you don't what's your take b- on that kind of a world? If you don't want to buy some death sticks, just say so. <laughs> yeah. Like, if selling of death like... <sighs> You know, because to me, like, if someone is now saying, like, well, but addiction's terrible, we should do everything we can to fix addiction, sure. And if, like, the Jedi set up a thing where they're like, hey, are you an addict? Do you need help? Like, come here. We will brainwash you so you're no longer an addict. Or even the criminal justice system was like, look, you got arrested for doing dumb things about death sticks. You either have to go to jail or you have to go to the Jedi for this or you have to do something else. But it's still a choice. I am all for it. But... What if, the, what if it's a, a Jedi healing spot where they say that it's healing, but really it's just brainwashing? <laughs> you know, well, because here's the thing. Once you say that the people in power get to brainwash people who have ideas and do things that are thought to be contrary to the society. Oh, my Lord, is that a slippery slope to some real bad places? 
Like, yeah. well, I mean, Anakin specifically talked about that. He was like, I don't think that the government system works. And she's like, well, how would you do it? And he's like, I'd sit everybody down around a table and talk about things until we agree on the best course of action and then do oh it. My God. And she's like, but that's what we do. And he's like, mm, I don't know. And she's like, but, you know, not everybody agrees on what's best. And he's like, maybe we should force them to agree. And she's like, Anakin, that's tyranny. Yeah. Like, what the hell are you talking about? And, and every time I what I think about is that every time I hear someone who's just like, oh, you know, both sides are terrible. It's all a politician's fault. We just need to get real people into Congress and, and they'll take care of everything. Like, no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> um, yeah. So it just it, it was just a tiny little thing. But and again, it's the kind of thing where I made this point before, but I think it's something I bring up a lot of the time. When I see a character doing something that I interpret as I'm supposed to learn that this is why the character is bad, it's important to me that I know that the writer knows that too. And I like I watch that scene and I feel like if that scene is meant to show us that the Jedi are brainwashing people because, again, their hubris has gotten away from them and they think that's a way to solve society's problems, sure, I'm there for it. But the writer has to give us something about that. Otherwise, I have no idea if George Lucas thinks, yeah, wouldn't this be a cool way to stop smoking? Um. (sighs) Oh, man. When I kicked on Disney Plus and it said uh, scenes of or depictions of tobacco use, I was like, the hell? What? Are you what? I didn't remember that. And then I look at I look at my wife and she's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I think it's pipes. If I remember, I think it's I think they have pipes. And I was like, I don't think so it seems like a jedi thing to do to sit around smoking as the you know in the council or whatever like big long pipe to show how much of a wizard you are but then it gets to that scene and the guy's like you want to buy some death sticks and i was like there it is there's the tobacco depiction yeah and that scene could have oh man so okay okay so you're talking about how it's incredibly unethical for uh for obi-wan to be like you want to go home and rethink your life. What if he had, what if, okay. What if he had stopped at, you don't want to sell me death sticks. And the guy's like, I don't want to sell you death sticks and goes to walk away. Like, is that okay? Where he's he's just saying it, but it's not mind control. Well, no, no, no. Like if he, if he does the, the Jedi mind trick and says, you don't want to sell me death sticks, like basically go away. Mm -hmm. Like, not go home and rethink your life. Uh, oh, but just establish who you are as a person. Just I don't want you to do it to me. Um, yeah, just go away from me. You know, I I would kind of see that as like this is something I kind of see a lot in like. Let me start that again. There are times in superhero movies where I see someone like uh, Jessica Jones or others like use their superhero powers to get people to stop bothering them. And I think it's kind of like a lovable quirk where I'm like, that's not really the best thing you should be doing. But yeah, I admit if I had that power, I'd probably do it too. Um, You know, like imagine if it was like a Jedi woman at at a bar and just she was getting like 10 different people coming up and hitting on her. And so she was doing that to be like, you don't find me attractive. You don't want to hit on it. Or even like you don't want to hit on women in this bar. I'd be so down with that. You know, I'd be like, you go, girl. Um, what if Ayla Sakura has a reputation as the least attractive Jedi ever, but she's like beautiful. And it's only that she has like Jedi mind trick people into thinking that she's not attractive over and over again. <laughs> That'd be awesome. 
But yeah, so I, I think to answer your question, I think, yeah, I'd be fine with that. I'd, I'd, I'd find it as kind okay. of like a, yeah, you're a little bit of a scamp, Obi-Wan, but I'd do the same thing too. That's kind of annoying. Go for it. Okay. So what if he was accompanied by a different Jedi who, after he said that, did the, the mind trick of you want to go home and rethink your life? And then Obi-Wan turns to him and goes, dude, what are you doing? We can't do that. Yeah. Well, hmm. So he'd have to be accompanied by another Jedi who also yep. thinks that there should be no limits on the Jedi's power to stop and make things better if they think it's better. Yeah. Who is a Jedi? Like, yeah, it could have been Anakin. An- Anakin could have been Anakin. Could have seen that happen and done that. And Obi-Wan could have been like, no, dude, we don't do that. We help people. We don't control them. Um, right. Yeah. That would have been so much better. Um, right. But yeah, so the world building, and and then I think honestly, it's where world building is where this movie really falls because this is they had the chance to tell us why the separatists wanted to break away. They didn't really. They sort of did, as you said, an hour and a half into the movie. They had a chance to tell us why the Republic worries that the separatists want to break away. They never tell us. You know, they never like even like if you'd had a moment. In some ways, I feel like Amidala could have been such a great character to explore this with because. She obviously is very against the Republic, but what if she had said something like, you know, Anakin was like, well, why don't you just let them leave then? And she said, look, all these people want to leave because they just want to like have rampant, you know, uh, you know, they want to be Ferengi basically. And they just want to completely like steal every bit of money they can from their own people. And so we don't want to let them leave for that reason or because like they want to leave so that we won't stop them from economically oppressing our own people. And that's going to be the problem. Like. Padme could have been a great character to be like, here's why the separatist leaving is a problem, but here's also why we shouldn't be building this army of the Republic. Um, there's none yeah. of that. And then, by the way, yeah. when the army of the Republic shows up, that Padme was the one who really wanted to vote against, does she say a word about why this is bad? No, she's just like, yay, clones, let's go fight. Um, yep. yep. So yeah, I think the world building is really where it kind of falls down. Um, and yeah, it's funny. The, the name of the movie is attack of the clones. Clones don't show up until, or the clones don't show up fighting until what? The last half hour of the movie. Well, let me ask you this. Um, so the movie's called attack of the clones. And until now, all we'd really known was that, um, Luke's father had died in the clone wars. You know, and the clone wars were talked about as this terrible thing. Did you go into this movie thinking the clones were going to be on the side of the good guys? Uh, no, if it was, I mean, it's attack of the clones. Like why, why would I think that the clones are good guys? Yeah. Like I, the, the head cannon that I had built as, you know, eight year old watching that movie was that like long ago, some terrible people, maybe the Sith had created clones and used those clones. And, and the Je- it was like one of the worst fights the Jedi ever had. And that Anakin had been killed as part of that. And obviously we learned later that Anakin turned to the dark side, but that, the Clone Wars was about the good guys fighting the clones. Um, and certainly there was a lot of the the pre-canon that established that. Um, <clears throat> the Timothy Zahn books, certainly they talked about the clones being a thing that the Empire used and a thing that like bad people used, and it was terrible. Um, and so to just have it be like the clones are the good guys, it, it just, again, it, it made no sense to me. It didn't fit. Yeah. Well, mm, to make... Oh, you want to build the tension around the clones a little bit? Yeah. What if, what if, uh, instead of a changeling, it was a clone who was the, the one sent to, oh. to kill Amidala? 
Like if what, what, oh yeah. What if Django had been plucking out specific clones out of the, the facility uh-huh. and bringing them across to different places and using them as, as like assassin fire. Yeah, his own little death squad. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been great. A, also we could have gotten a little bit more about what Mandalorians are about. Like, uh, cause that could have been really more interesting. Um, yeah. There's so much. Uh, anyway. I, I, I think we're, we're, we're starting to get to wrapping up. Um, I want to read one yeah. bit of f- feedback we got. Um, okay. Because uh, this is a different perspective I think we're talking about. Uh, a fan named Jennifer wrote in, So, I know I'm out on an island here, but I have a fondness for this movie. I saw it when I was eight, and at that age, I thought it was very romantic, in that silly Disney way that makes me grown now, but that is a little kid I loved, and I still love rewatching. The plot doesn't make any sense, but I found the cloners so damn creepy, and I loved all the Obi-Wan versus the Bounty Hunter scenes. I look, I look forward to hearing you guys cast on it, and I'm sure I'll agree with most of your bashing of it, but just know someone still likes it. Love the cast. Thanks for keeping me entertained in quarantine. Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. It's very kind words. Yeah, I, I appreciate the words, and I, I, I am glad to know that some people still have that fondness for it. And I think I think it's true. I think the, the, clones, the cloner scenes were pretty damn creepy and, and would have probably been even more so to a kid. Um, and, and the Django Boba Fett scenes I, I can get. Um, and I, 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 I definitely, I didn't grow up watching Disney movies uh, because I had a, a, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and I had a fairly gendered childhood and was told like that was for girls. And I think that's kind of dumb now. But I, I, so I didn't get raised on that idea of like, you know, that, that romance is a thing I was supposed to be pining after as a young kid. But, but I guess I can understand that like, you know, as an eight year old, maybe um, I hate sand and you're so smooth. Like that, that could sound like a romantic line. Um, I'm stretching, I'm stretching, Jennifer, I admit, but, but I, I, I want to acknowledge that, that your feelings are real and, and awesome. And, and if other listeners feel the same, I think please write in because I think that's, that's, I think, um, you helped me, Jeff, cause, and other people have said this too, when you said that, like, when you watch Attack of the Clones, you ate it up, you know, um, cause you were the target demographic. It was only when you were later that you were like, wait, this was a terrible movie. Um, oh yeah. When, when the Phantom Menace came out, yeah. I was firmly in that dim, in that. Firmly in that demographic. Hell, when this movie came out and the 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 scene with the cloners happened, like Obi Wan went to the cloners. At the time, I remember feeling that like these guys were mystical, magical. They're right? beyond the Jedi's understanding. Maybe they wiped the records to to hide their own existence. And like, they're so shiny, and everything is really pristine here. Like, man, these guys are cool. Yeah. yeah. And then now watching it again, I'm like, man, this place is really creeping me out. Like, I didn't feel that building sense of of dread, of terror that 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 whole facility puts in me now. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that's good to know. And I think because I, I admit I watched all these as an adult and I watched these as an adult who had huge hopes and felt them get dashed. And so I was very cynical and very bitter. And because of that, it's hard for me to imagine that anyone liked these movies. And so. You know, if you're one of the, the, the fans who saw these movies when you were younger or even when you're older, I mean, uh, my friend Adam, who was my age, uh, he, uh, and I, he was a high school friend of mine. We didn't go to the same high school, but we hung out together. He loved this movie. And and so I, I, I think it's good for us to remember that, like, you know, we can get super critical, but like these movies entertain a lot of people. And that's important, too. And we're giving you our opinions. It's not like the definitive. We are right. and You are wrong. And. I really want to stay away from any kind of like that kind of <laughs> this is toxic, the way. Oh, yeah, no, none of that toxic fan bashing. Um, we have strong opinions, but if you disagree, 
that's the feedback we love. Like write in and tell us if you think we're great because our egos can always use stroking. But frankly, this especially, if you think we're we're getting something wrong, if we get something wrong about the Darksaber, write in and let us know. So Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you to all the fans. Um, and again, if you wrote in about the Clone Wars, I'm going to read all of those emails on the next episode uh, about the Clone Wars, which will go up uh, hopefully next week, although we're having some technical difficulties at the moment with, with schedules and stuff. But hopefully that'll go up soon. So uh, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you to all the fans. Um, Jeff, any kind of last closing words you want to talk about? One, one last thing you didn't get to mention? Nah, I feel like I've laid it all out. I mean, we've been here for a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's true. There's a couple other little things I could touch on, but, but let's wrap up. So fans, um, thank you again so much. Please write in, let us know what you think. We would love to, to hear your thoughts. Um, you can find us at, um, star Wars universe podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us by searching for star Wars universe podcast, uh, on either Facebook or Twitter. Um, there's a couple other podcasts with very similar names, uh, cause there's been star Wars podcasts forever now. Um, uh, so really? yeah, I know shocking. So if you're looking for us, Crazy. make sure you look for the icon that has the, um, the red Jedi Republic symbol with, uh, crossed microphones looking like crossed lightsabers. Uh, and thank you very much to, um, uh, uh, Calissa Fitzgerald, who is the one who designed that for us. Uh, it's a great icon and I love it. Uh, and I really got some great artistic help with that. So thank you to her. Uh, thank you to all the fans. Thank you, uh, to, to you, Jeff, uh, and, uh, everybody have a great day. I've spoken. Yes, you have. <laughs>